The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through mission, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Good morning. We are uh, jumping in where Jared left off last week uh, in the last section of Ecclesiastes 1. And uh, if you are like me, uh, I have uh, just devoured The Last Dance. It's a, a documentary on uh, the team that Michael Jordan was on in 1998, the Chicago Bulls. And in it, um, legends are playing. Uh, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, Steve Kerr, um, Phil Jackson, the coach. It's, it's legendary. And it's all led by Michael Jordan. And it's this documentary based around not just Jordan himself and not just this year, but what has led up to this single year, this last dance, last opportunity to, to, to make a, a statement about them being the best, the greatest. Can they win a championship? And so uh, it's really a documentary, a docu-series that proves this really might be the greatest team to ever play basketball, debatably. But they might be uh, the greatest. They may be unparalleled. They may be at the very top. And how is that possible? Is because they have one of the greatest leaders, arguably the greatest leader, the greatest player, to play the game, uh, leading the charge, uh, pushing everyone, uh, willing to win. And that's Michael Jordan. And that's what really this documentary is about. Without Michael Jordan, there is no last dance. He said uh, in the documentary, he says, I don't have a gambling problem because he, gam he would gamble often. He says, I have a, a competitiveness problem. And that's why he is the greatest. Right? He has a drive and a competition uh, to be the best. And also it's something that plagues him something that uh, I say would plague him, and, and he may even say similar words. This, this competitive drive is something that's a part of who he is, that he longs to be, in a category of his own, the best. And this morning, we'll see in Scripture a story of someone who longs to be in a category of his own and reaps what it's like to be all alone at the top. And these words of Ecclesiastes, of someone who is uh, the greatest and yet talks about what it's like to know so much wisdom and feel so much emptiness. One pastor said Ecclesiastes is this one book that the other 65 books of the Bible are trying to react to, to answer to have a rebuttal towards. And it does seem that way. Why? Because this is a book um, that is framed, bookends, by uh, the author of the book. Right At the beginning of the book, and the very end of the book, the author writes. But in the middle, the author frames this, this monologue of, of the teacher. And the teacher uh, shares what it's like to have all of this wisdom, all of this seeking and striving and what it's like to be all alone at the top. 38 times this teacher in the middle and main portion of the book 
says hevel. This Hebrew word hevel, 38 times. And it's translated often in English meaningless. There's a meaninglessness. It's meaningless, meaningless. But what better is said and translated is the word hevel means smoke, means vapor. And it's saying that because life is temporary and fleeting and life is a paradox. You see smoke and you see vapor, but you can't really grab it. You can't hold on to it. It's meaningless. It's fleeting. And this morning we'll see that hevel, that that meaninglessness, that vapor, that smoke through wisdom. We'll see it through wisdom. We'll see, look at three things this morning. First uh, is the wisdom's two avenues. Second, we'll look at the vapor of wisdom. And third, we'll look at wise wisdom. So would you pray with me as we read through God's word? Lord, you are a God who uh, is faithful through the generations. And Lord, we know that and have heard that, but Lord, we long to experience it. Meet us where we are this morning. We are tired. Uh, We are frustrated. We're feeling helpless. We're feeling um, unable to do really much at all. So, Lord, be with us this morning as we see what true wisdom looks like. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, Ecclesiastes is a wisdom book of the Old Testament. Another wisdom book of the Old Testament is, is Psalms and Proverbs. Now, the way these books are different is Psalms and Proverbs says and offers wisdom that is tried and true. It's something that's um, not only been passed down, but is always tested and always holds its own. And then there's Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes offers wisdom in the sense of it's not something that's been given to them, not something that's been uh, handed down. It offers wisdom because it says, I've gone out. I've, I've experienced the world, and here's what I've found. Here's what I've found. Because in 1 Kings 3, Solomon, who is most likely the teacher, the, right, the person who's talking in most of this book, Solomon uh, isn't, is sleeping. And in a dream, in that sleep, the Lord comes to Solomon and says, ask me whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. Whatever you desire, I will give to you. And Solomon says to the Lord, I want wisdom. Give me wisdom. I want to I rule rightly, know right from wrong, and, and lead your people. I want wisdom. And the Lord actually is really pleased with this. And the Lord says, I'm going to give you wisdom. That's amazing that you've asked. I'm not just going to give you wisdom. I'm also going to give you everything else you didn't ask for. I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to give you notoriety. I'm going to give you honor. There will be no equal among you, the Lord says. And so this is Solomon. Truly someone in his own league. Wisdom, wealth, honor, power. He's got it all. And we'll see more and more how he has it all as we go through the book of Ecclesiastes. We need to look also this morning at the two avenues of wisdom. And we see it in this passage, the the two avenues 
First of which is um, the experimental wisdom. Experimental wisdom. So uh, what is experimental wisdom? And it's this idea that uh, we go and uh, seek and strive to discover. Truth and wisdom is uh, found and acquired by discovery. Right? We long for there to be something new, something novel, something that has never been said before, experienced before, to be truth for us. Always so that we may live a good life. Right? Wisdom always seeks for prosperity in, in, a, in the best of ways. For there to be a, a understanding and a life well lived. That's what wisdom is. And experimental wisdom says, I'm going to get that by discovery. In 1973, secular uh, humanist manifesto was written. And this uh, humanist manifesto promotes human experience and rational thinking uh, as the vehicle that provides knowledge and a moral code to live by. And here's what this humanist manifesto said in, in 1973. It says this, We have virtually conquered the planet, explored the moon, overcome the natural limits of travel and communication. We stand at the dawn of a new age. By using technology wisely, we can control our environment, conquer poverty, modify the human behavior, alter the course of human evolution and culture, cultural development, and provide humankind with an unparalleled opportunity for achieving an abundant and meaningful life. We stand 47 years separated from that statement. And it doesn't feel like culture maybe hasn't developed. Poverty hasn't been conquered. Uh, human behavior really hasn't been modified much. The environment hasn't been controlled. There's so much this has promised, and yet we're here 47 years later thinking, well, what's the difference? The thought is this. If we can change something, if we can alter something, if we can create something new, then the good life and abundance will occur. Meaning, that's what it says, an abundant and meaningful life will be had. Experimental wisdom says, Seeking and striving and searching for meaning will come. And that's what Ecclesiastes is, is showing us this morning. But there's another kind of wisdom, different than experimental, and it's established, established wisdom. And it's established not because it's inherited. We inherit things that, all, that aren't always uh, good or beautiful. Right, it can be something as petty as a, a wool, scratchy sweater from a sibling. Or it could be something as deep and broken as a law that's unjust. Right? What we inherit isn't always good. So what is established wisdom if it's not inherited? An established wisdom is something that's tested. It's something that's uh, tested, and it's, it stands on its own two feet, and it always, through every time in history, stands to be true, can hold its own, so that life can be lived well. Because that's the function of wisdom, life being lived well. In Psalm 90, it says, 
in verses 1, 2, and 12. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Established wisdom, a wisdom that speaks in every generation to be true and speaks in every generation to bring healing. Not because it's something we inherit, but something that always stands on its own. So, which one is it? Experimental or established? Are we um, supposed to go find new things? Or are we supposed to just settle for what we have been given? What we have to know is that true wisdom always has the good life, always brings the good life. And so in order to know that true wisdom, we have to ask our question, where are we expecting the good life? Where are we being deprived of a right of ours of the good life? What elements are in the good life? They either A, wrong, B, thwarted, or C, that are good and we are not getting them. Wisdom always seeks to give meaning to this life. Francis Schaeffer said, All men, having deep longing for significance, a longing for meaning, no man, regardless of his theoretical system, is content at looking at himself as a finally meaningless machine which can and will be discarded totally forever. So that is to say, we we long for wisdom because we long for meaning. So, uh, my question this morning is, in our search for meaning, in our search for the good life, what avenues of wisdom have we used? Have we used experimental? Have we longed to discover something new so that we can have the good life? Or... Have we taken something established, tested, tried, and true that's for us so it speaks into our life? Second, we see this idea of wisdom as vapor, or vapor uh, of wisdom. U2 has the famous song, um, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, right? Uh, Bono sings, I've, I've climbed the highest mountain. I've run through the fields. I've, I've kissed honey lips. He says all of these different things. And he says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And the writer of Ecclesiastes says, I feel you. I'm right there with you. And he actually goes, uh, soberly goes one more step and says, not only have I not found what I'm looking for, but what I've found And what's in this world, what's under the sun, is hevel. It's meaningless. It's vapor. It's smoke. To the point where it feels like I'll never find it. It says in verses uh, 13 and 14, it says, It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity. 
a striving after the wind. This teacher is trying to explain everything in the world by the things that he sees in the world. And what he concludes is, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. I can't make sense of it. I can't hold it all together. I can't make sure it all fits and works together. And he goes on to say this. He says, what crooked cannot be made straight, what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of knowledge and wisdom. And I have applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I have perceived that this also is a striving after the wind. He is brilliant. He's more brilliant, more wise, more knowledgeable than anyone before him. And yet he says, all of it is a striving after the wind. You can't bottle up the wind. It's, it's, It's smoke, it's vapor, it's hevel, it's meaningless. And you can kind of sense the, the defeat in his words and even the, the bitterness in his words. It's this Wizard of Oz moment. They, they've gone down the yellow brick road long, uh, many, many days, many, many miles, and they've gotten to where they long to be, and it's just smoke and mirrors. It's just a man behind the curtain. And he ends this section in this chapter with the words of, for in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. He who knows much is is frustrated. Vexation, he's frustrated. He who knows much is sorrowful. Albert Einstein and Bertrand Russell, uh, two great minds of the 20th century, said uh, in their manifesto together, the, the Russell-Einstein manifesto said, we have found that men who know the most are the most gloomy. Ernest Hemingway, one of the greatest writers of American literature, says, happiness and in intelligent people is the rarest thing that I know. Why? Why is Ecclesiastes, why is Bertrand Russell, Albert Einstein, Ernest Hemingway, why are they all saying the same thing and it all seems to be true? It's because the more we know what could be and is not, the more we're frustrated. The more we're beaten down. The more depressed we are, pressed down. The possibilities that are great and yet never touch reality. And is this not the case for us? Uh, People who we know what could be, but it's not really reality. And we then, once that becomes the case, we go from the spectrum that starts with disappointment. It goes to a disillusionment. And ends in a disenchantment. And are we not a disenchanted culture because we know there could be so much more? Are we not a disenchanted people because we know there could be more? Right, this week I've, I've um, been looking for a, a new car. Trust me, new is, is not new. And yet, I've found so often I'm always a dollar short and a day late. 
disenchanted, it's hevel, it's meaningless, it's smoke, it's vapor. Things that could be reality and aren't. Things like a scholarship that would have opened the door to this prestigious university. Things like the job that you could have landed that would have uh, set you up for so much notoriety. A relationship that could have happened, would have happened, but fill in the blank and it would have brought so much fullness. What could have been and yet is not. Is that not when we feel the most deferred or dreams are deferred? Recently, I've been feeling this kind of Ecclesiastes-ish feeling. I haven't been able to put my finger on it much. I've been sorting through and, and discovering what is this really, what is this really I'm feeling? What am I truly feeling? And I've discovered and, and kind of put my finger on it finally, and it's this. I have been telling my life to play by my rules. And it's simple, it's elementary, and something yet I haven't even learned yet. That I've told my life to play by my rules, and when it doesn't play by my rules, it's hevel. It's meaningless. I'm left empty. I'm, there's, the sand is going through my fingertips. When we ask something to do what it's not meant to do, there is a reeling malfunction. So where in our lives do we bear the marks of looking at what we've experienced, looking at the life we live, having all this knowledge of what could have been, and we say, like the person in this passage, we say that all of life is vanity. We just throw in the towel and because it's, it's a striving after the wind. Where do we say that? Where have you known so much could have been true and we bear the reality of empty-handedness? Wisdom is a vapor. It's, it's, it can't be, uh, can't be grabbed or wrangled. Life doesn't play by our rules. This is really uh, weighty. It is. And it's really uh, honestly depressing, right? We read these words and we think, what good is there? And that's an okay question to ask. Because what we're getting from this person who's the wisest of all is really hard words. And it's more than just hard. It's, it's really kind of uh, disorienting. And yet, we are a people who need wisdom. If this writer, uh, if this teacher says, I've gone out in experimental wisdom, and, and he's, he's disillusioned, he's disappointed, he's disenchanted, what wisdom do we need? And that's this last idea of wise wisdom. The point of Ecclesiastes is never to make us embittered. It's not. God did not give and doesn't offer wisdom so that we can become embittered, so that we become cold. He doesn't act like that. The writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to show us this. We aren't supposed to be embittered. We aren't supposed to be driven to unbelief. We're actually supposed to be led and, and, and pushed toward and ushered toward humility. 
True wisdom comes from something that we're given, not something we discover. We need wise wisdom that's both functional and thriving. Right? Wise wisdom, this established wisdom, needs to be both functioning and thriving. Because what's tried and true needs to be tried and true for us. Not just for others that that we inherit, but for us also. We need wisdom, right? We need meaning. We need the good life that's not in our own terms. That doesn't try and attempt to explain everything, but actually is marked with humility. So where do we get this wisdom and how do we get this this wise wisdom, this established wisdom. At the opening of this passage, the, the teacher says, I have searched and sought. Uh, seeking and searching is what he's done. And then he lists what he has found. Nothing. Striving after the wind. Nothing. And the Christian life is so much different than that because... Isaiah 30 gives us a picture of what it's like. Isaiah 30, it's something that we say often and quote often, and it's this. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. And so there's this seeking and striving that's traded for repentance and rest. The act of running down a mirage is traded for running into the arms that welcome us. Uh, Seeking and striving is traded for quietness and trust. The act of being uh, dependent on eating what we kill is traded for a security that requires no action of us other than trusting, knowing, and being still. So that's, that's, that's one that, uh, this is a wisdom that is functional. We also need a wisdom that's active. We aren't supposed to be driven toward um, nihilism. We're actually supposed to be some, pushed towards something more beautiful and more transformative. We need a wisdom that is not marked by our discovery, but marked by something that's tried and true because of our experience. As we discover that this tried and true wisdom truly is established, tried and true, a gift. And here's how we discover that. Here's how we know it. In 1 Corinthians 1, uh, Paul writes and says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were born. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. 
is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one who boasts, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It ends with this idea of Christ being wisdom. Christ becoming wisdom. This wisdom that's righteous, that's holy, and it's full of redemption. How? Right? How is wise wisdom seen in a person? How is the idea of 1 Corinthians 1 shown? And it's this. There is no display of wisdom. There's no showing of wisdom without a cross. And here's why. If that's how God operates, if that's the economy of God to choose what's foolish in the world, uh, to be truly wise, the cross is the perfect embodiment of it. Because it takes the very thing that criminals bore, the things that that, uh, 100% will bring death, and it says, I'm going to use that very thing to bring life. The picture of the cross is something that's fully human, because it has 100% death. And yet, it's also utterly foolish. Because it's the place where people go to re- be rejected, not accepted. The only person that bears a cross is someone who's bearing rejection. And yet, it's that very economy that God is able to use because he says and looks at this world, and he doesn't say hevel. He doesn't say, as God, this is all meaningless. He says, nothing is too great, nothing is too wise, nothing is too strong for me to bring redemption out of. That's what the cross says, and that's how the cross is wise. It's a display of a wise wisdom. Because it's this established wisdom that's uh, both tried and true through every generation and brings a balm and healing for every generation and gives us a path of life for every generation. And also, here's how it's true, wise wisdom. The cross is true, wise wisdom because it's uh, inverting. It's paradoxical. right? It takes what is low and, and, and makes it great. And that's something the writer of Ecclesiastes says that doesn't make sense. It can't make sense that that brings life. It can't make sense that there's redemption through that. It can't make sense that God can actually do that. We are to know that as a people who are marked by wise wisdom, we are marked by the cross. And because we're marked by the cross, we know God can make anything restorative. He can make anything beautiful. Nothing is too great. Nothing's too wise. Nothing's too powerful to outdo the God that says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. Nothing. The cross is true. Because there's an irreducible glory in all of us. 
There is an irreducible glory in every person because if that wasn't true, then why would Christ bear a cross that brings foolishness, shame, and 100% death? But because there's an irreducible glory in every single person, Christ bore the cross. He became wisdom. He embodied wisdom. There's an irreducible glory in you and in me and the 30 students that in 1960 went to downtown Chattanooga and had a sit-in protest. There's an irreducible glory in them as they fought the injustices done against them. There's an irreducible glory in Amada Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. We have been endowed with an irreducible glory that says the true discovery of wisdom is not dependent upon what we find, but the true discovery of wisdom is actually when we have been given the gift of rest and trust and stillness. We don't labor for the things that bring us life, but what gives us life is the thing that's given to us. That's where life is found. And something as paradoxical as a mid-30s white pastor standing at this very point saying he's a racist. And I myself uh, longing to say the same words. Confession and restoration are linked. And that's paradoxical. May we be a community that both confesses what wrong has taken place so that restoration may be possible. Why? Because wisdom is paradoxical. Just as the cross of Christ is paradoxical. True wisdom says there can be beauty in you and me in this world. And that's something the Lord gives. Let's pray. Lord, we see the irreducible glory in others. And Lord, when we only see it in particular people, may we repent. And when we act like that's true, that only some bear the irreducible glory that's given from you, make us a people who repent. Jesus, Show us what wise wisdom looks like. A wise wisdom that that gives the good life, a meaningful life, a powerful life. Because that's the kind of life you embodied. We can only know it when we follow you. And we bow before you and are shown where life can be found. Jesus, show us where we have trusted in something other than the wisdom that comes from you. We pray this all in your name, Christ. Amen.